Good morning. How's everyone? Good. My name's Eric. If you haven't met me, uh, we'd love to get to know you out in the courtyard, answer any questions, uh, give you a gift, help you get connected to our church. Uh, so we look forward to that time. I want to say welcome also to our friends and family online. So glad you could join us. Uh, also take note of this, August 28th, uh, after the second service, about 1145, we will have a church family business meeting. Uh, we have the documents for that meeting available in the lobby. They'll also be in the church office throughout the week. So mark your calendars. Lunch will be provided. And so I just want to make you aware of that. Uh, also, one of the things we do is I know some of the schools have started, but not all. About this time of year, we try to pray for the teachers and just that God would be with them um, and with the administrators and the principals. And, uh, you know, I think you, you always want to pray for people, but could we just take a second and maybe just acknowledge it's it's been a rough two years, huh? It, it really has, especially for kids. And so we want to pray for those teachers and administrators and principals as they have a unique opportunity to be around these kids, you know, six to eight hours a day and impact them for Christ in a powerful way. And so um, I know you guys miss standing and everyone's staring at you, um, but today we're just going to pray. I got three laughs out of that. That's good. That's better than, there we go. Yeah, you know, so that way we can just pray for you. And just, uh, and I would encourage everyone to just be praying for uh, the people who work in schools as uh, they have the great privilege of working with children. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. And uh, we acknowledge it's been a rough, it's been a rough patch. And uh, it's our prayer that these teachers would be a light uh, in a chaotic, fearful, dark place uh, that some of these kids are in. Uh, either what they've gone through or their family situation or all the information being thrown at them. Uh, we just pray that our teachers and principals, administrators, they would be light. They would be encouragement. They would be uh, full of grace and mercy and truth. Uh, that they would go to you each day before they go to these kids. That they would go as your servant to love and encourage uh, the children towards you. And so we just pray that as a church, we would support them and we would support the kids as well. Uh, ultimately to you and your glory and your sovereignty. And we pray as we go into the text that uh, Psalm 2 would just be something we go to over and over again, uh, that you would teach us this morning, you would draw us close, you would fix our eyes, draw our minds, and open our ears to all that you would have for us. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, just reminder, we're going to start the book of Matthew. Uh, on September 11th. And so this series is what we're calling like a transitional series to help us understand from 1 Samuel to Matthew and kind of bridge that, that in between so that when we hit Matthew, we understand uh, in this series that Jesus functions as he's the king and he's also the savior. And as we look through the book of Matthew, that there's going to be times when they're like, they don't get it. Like, he's, he is a king, but they're, they're also not getting, he's a savior. He's coming to save them from their sins. And so just to keep that uh, in the front of our minds, uh, that if we don't look at the text, sometimes we'll forget, no, he is the king. He is in charge. And there's other times we forget, no, he's in charge, but he did save me. And so that's just important for us. So keep that in mind. So this week, you know, last week we talked about Jesus as savior, suffering servant, this week, he's the king, and it's very clear. And this text comes at a, you know, a unique time in our history. Is how true is verse 1, right? Why did the nations rage 
and the peoples plot in vain. Is that true of what's going on right now? Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. You turn on the TV and it's, people are freaking out everywhere and they're angry and they're mad. And, and the idea in the text is that no nation wants to be told what to do. People in general don't like to be told what to do. Is that fairly true? Yeah, and so it, people get angry when that happens. And so what you see is nations being said, we're going to keep our heritage. We want our values. That's our land. No, we deserve that. We should be able to get that. We don't want to be like you. We want to stay. Um, if you look at what's going on in India right now, they are um, hyper, hyper Hinduism, like this radical Hinduism, uh, which is not in their nature. But why are they doing that? They don't want Christians coming in and changing their nation. They don't want Muslims coming in and changing their heritage. And this is who we've always been. And so there's this fight that this is the right way to live and no one can tell us otherwise. Do not try to change us. We'll hurt you if you try and we'll fight back uh, at all costs. And so even then you think through our Old Testament story is that these, these kingdoms would come and they would want to conquer Israel and say, you're going to worship our gods. You're going to be like us, take our values and over and over and over again, God tells them, no, you don't do that. And so you see the nations raging like, no, we want to be in charge. And, and even in America, you know, I, I think you're definitely seeing the rage now, uh, but it's always been there. See, the rage comes from we don't want to do what God says. We don't want God to tell us how to live, how to act, how to parent, how to be married, what gender to be, how to spend our money, spend our time spend our efforts. And what's interesting is it, it didn't seem like that always. It seemed like for a time in our history that the Bible was here and the American values were here. And they just kind of happened to overlap. And then as time happened, you see this drift and you see this slow rage building. See, because in every society you want to be, this is what's best. This is what's proper. And for a while, what was proper and, you know, cool matched the Bible. And then science comes along and replaces God as creator. And psychology comes along and replaces the Bible as moral compass. And you see this kind of slow building. You know, we don't, we don't say the Lord's name in vain. That's wrong. But we can use every other curse word we want. We don't hate people, but we slander them online all we want. So they can't fight back. We love people, but we don't go to church to be around them because we don't need to. Right? You just kind of see this slow departure. The Bible's good, then the Bible's okay. Now the Bible's a suggestion. God can tell me, you know, about my language, my money, but now he can't tell me what marriage is. He can't tell me about my gender. And you just see this slowly, 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 until now it's just rage saying, you can't tell me anything. I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it, however I want to do it. And if you try to come at me, I will hurt you. Is that kind of where we're at? Just, it's like violence if you disagree. And so what you see then and you see now is no different. The nations were raging then. They didn't want to be under one God. They didn't want a God to tell them what to do. They wanted to pick their gods. They wanted to pick how they worshiped that God. They wanted to pick how they could do marriage. They wanted to pick how many wives they could have. It's the same thing. And so we have all of this rage and we have it building and you have these people kind of saying, we're being oppressed, liberate us. And we will fight for that freedom. 
And that's what we're hearing. Same thing today. We're being oppressed. They won't let me do whatever I want to do. They won't let me pick. They won't let me uh, do what I think should be done. And yet, when you look, when Jesus comes on, this is why it gets so confusing in Matthew a little bit. When Jesus comes on to the scene, he, he's right here. We're seeing he's the king. But does he overthrow Rome? Does he kill the emperor? Does he put himself in political charge? Does he take over and free people who are in prison? Does he do? He doesn't do that, does he? Absolutely not. So that's where that confusion is because there's this expectation that, that God's going to send his son, he's going to send a king, and he's going to make everything right. And so as we see the nations raging where the church happens, as the church steps in and says, well, we're angry too. There's things we don't like and there's things we want. And we begin to get angry at the same things. And we use it as a permission that, you know what, God has a plan, honor the plan, trust the plan, that all of a sudden we feel like we're being mistreated. And we have a right to be in rage and anger and to plot and try and overcome and overthrow. And so as we look at this text, it's just crazy that the nations are always raging. Just to give you an idea, maybe to set the scene before we get in there, is you look at communism, the idea behind it, it's just kind of true always, right? You have your bourgeoisie, your people of power. You have your proletariats, the people who are underneath the power. And the people underneath always want to overthrow the people in charge. Is this true? Okay. And that's going to be forever and ever and always. We're going to get someone in charge. There's going to be people underneath that authority say, why do you have the authority? I should have the authority. And then the new guy will get in charge. Wait, why is he in charge? We should be in charge. And they'll overthrow. And it's, a, it's an endless cycle until Christ comes back and does away with all of it. Okay. That cycle will always be there. Because the nations are raging because they don't have God as their king. They're seeking to fill what only Christ can fill. He's the only one who can bring peace between God and man is Christ. And so that rage will be there until man is at peace with God through Jesus. And so as the nations rage, the question is going to be, where will our place in this be? How will we respond? What will we do? I can tell you where God goes. Here's our second point. And this is going to seem, this is going to seem so, let's finish verse two and we'll get to our second point. It says, the kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords. And so right away, what do you see is that they automatically say, we don't need him. We can be in control. We can dictate this. We will impose. And what's God's response? I love this. Verse 4. He who sits in heaven laughs. Isn't that beautiful? You guys are like, you're twisted. No, like, that is so comforting. Isn't that one of the most comforting verses in all the Bible? Right? That they build armies and nations and, and he just laughs. That's so comforting. How, I think we should be worried if you read that text and it's like, he who sits in heaven worries and paces and takes his fingers and pulls his hair out. Can you imagine the atomic bomb drops and God's like, oh no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Wouldn't that scare you? Just me. That would freak me out. I love that he just sits there and he sees all of this and he laughs. Now, why is it funny? Because it's absurd. 
Have any of your kids ever tried to punish you or warn you or threaten you? You laugh, don't you? Because it's so funny and it seems mean, but just think about it with me. You know, one of my kids, they've, they've tried this before. You know, we give an order and it's like, you know, under this house, if you're going to live here, you know that speech, right? You've given it, you've had it. And then, then comes this phrase, well, then I'm not going to live here. And I'm just like a mean parent, I guess. I go, okay, fine. Then don't live here. And so they kind of looked at me weird. I'm like, well, you're going to pack your stuff. Well, you're going to take your stuff with you, right? And it's kind of like, oh, we're doing this right now. Yep, we're doing it right now. Let's go. So we pack the bag. Kid starts walking down, you know, the driveway, kind of confused. My wife's trying not to laugh. She's off in the corner. I'm keeping the straight face. And I was like, well, where am I going to stay? I don't know. You got this figured out. But I think we got a cardboard box. You want to take that? Yeah, I want to grab that for you. So we got kid and backpack and cardboard box going down the road until eventually the kid comes back and goes, I don't know where to go. That's funny. Why? Because it's absurd that they think they could go take care of themselves at age five. Now, if they were 25 and we were laughing at them, that would be mean, right? You're 25 and went to college and you think you can be on your own? That's kind of mean, isn't it? Okay. It's funny because it's absurd. It could never happen. It's like when your kids tell you they can beat you in a game and they're little, you laugh. That's why I created the rule. You can't play with me if, unless when I win, there's no crying. That's the rule. When dad wins, there's no crying. And then as they get older, it's I can't play if I cry, right? Like you see that? Because as they get older, all of a sudden it's not so funny because they get smarter and taller and faster and stronger and you get less stronger, faster, right? And it's not as funny anymore. It's funny because it's absurd. And that's the beauty of, of this text is that God just goes, well, they think they can change it. They think they can dictate it. They think they can be God. They think they can create the rules. They think they're better off without me. He laughs. And why does he laugh? Because as it has it in the text, God actually has his own plan. He has his own plan and he laughs. He's like, I actually have all this worked out. You guys aren't going to solve anything. You can't be, you can't make peace with me apart from Christ. You will always have insecurity and war. You always have envy and strife and jealousy that drives you to kill and plot and destroy and plunder. And how many of these nations and these kingdoms, they rise and then they fall and God laughs and goes, you still won't learn. This is why it's funny in the text, verse six, it says, as for me, Kind of like, is anyone going to ask me? God's like, as for me, I have set my king on Zion. That's Jerusalem. My holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Wow. He makes it pretty clear, to the ends of the earth will be Christ. There is nothing that will not be his. He's saying, I have a plan. Now, where the Gospels come into this is that part of the plan is that he would send him to be the Savior first. He goes, he lives the perfect life. He models in oppression as a carpenter. He models being faithful. He models doing the will of God. He goes to the cross, pays for our sins. 
He's risen. And then they go, okay, now is the time for the kingdom. Look at Acts 1, 6, 7, and 8. He goes, is now the time? He says, he will come. So guys, I got it all worked out. Until I bring him back for judgment, you're to go to the ends of the earth and offer peace between man and God through Christ. So as God is laughing, he's very merciful, isn't he? Because he makes a way for, for the rage to be solved. For, for, for this, this part of us that just feels so incomplete and so angry because we're searching to calm that anger because we feel unloved or, or we don't have a purpose or we feel like everything's against us and you're trying to solve it and nothing will solve it. He's like, go to the ends of the earth and tell all people the only way to solve this rage is that they would be at peace with God through Christ. That's a good God, isn't it? He laughs because we try to solve it on our own. He laughs because it'll never work. He laughs because he already has a plan. The question for us is, are we going to be a part of the people that God laughs at? Because we get angry when things don't go our way. Because we get angry when kings and presidents and governors and mayors don't do what we want. Will we fall in that rage? Will we, in verse 1, plot in vain? Or will we know that somewhere God is laughing? And that if God is laughing, that we shouldn't worry. Isn't that a fair deduction there? If God is laughing, we shouldn't worry. Just like when you're laughing at that kid who thinks they're going to go live on their own. Don't worry. He's not going anywhere. She's not going anywhere. And if they do, you will pick them over your shoulder, put them in their room, and lock the door until they figure it out, right? There's no need to worry. If God is laughing, then why are we panicking? So as you walk through the text, he sets it up. Look, they're angry. They're enraged. I'm laughing. I have a plan. And part of that plan, verse 9, he says, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And there will be a finality. There will be a finality for all the kings and kingdoms and people that ignored the counsel of the Lord that ignored Jesus as the payment for their sin, they will be crushed. It's a very serious sentiment, isn't it? That's why it says, okay, until that moment, you need to focus on these next imperatives. So our last part, he says, now this is what you need to do. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. I mean, just, just highlight that. If Be wise and be warned. O rulers of the earth, be wise. Being wise looks like this. It, it's, it's interesting to me that people will say, you know, yeah, I believe in God. Okay, so if you believe in God, but God doesn't care what you do, how do you make that jump? There is a creator, but he doesn't care what I do. How does that seem wise? I mean, you're a parent and, and you have some rules, don't you? And all you did was birth and pay for the kid. You didn't create. So you have creator God. You think he cares? Yes, he cares. Wisdom says he cares. He laughs when we think he doesn't. If there is a God, what does he require? Wisdom would say, I should find that out. I should maybe live according to the creator of the universe 
plan and purpose. You see, what we want to do is we want to look at circumstances and say, oh, but there's death. Oh, but there's evil. But there's Then there can't, God can't be in control. He can create, but he can't be in control. That's not wise. That's, you're allowing the, the rage to pollute your mind. That somehow God doesn't care who you marry. God doesn't care how you parent. God doesn't care if you don't listen to the Bible. God doesn't care if you don't forgive. God doesn't care if you take his name in vain. He cares about all of those things. Wisdom is saying, God, you have warned us. You have warned us. You are going to smash or dash them into pieces. I need to listen to you. I need to trust you. I need to go to you first. Instead of verse 1, plotting in vain. Wisdom says start with the Lord. Wisdom says, when I don't understand why so many people are dying, why this country is in poverty, while evil is here, wisdom says, the God of the universe probably knows something that I don't. And rather than come in rage and anger and, and fuel and fire, wisdom says, I should, I should probably trust him. I should probably go to him. I should probably talk to him. I should probably start there. Doesn't that seem wise? Not a trick question. It is. Okay? It is wise. And here's the thing. We've been warned. We've been warned. He says, you look, at, you look at the end of Matthew. He sends out the disciples to go to the ends of the earth to make disciples, to baptize them, and teach all that he commanded. So God says, before I'm going to send my son to, to bring ultimate justice, to crush the vessels into pieces, I want everyone to know the only way they can be at peace with me is through my son Jesus. And I want my disciples to go everywhere and tell everyone about that. I want them to warn. So at the end of this, when Jesus comes and he drops the hammer, and he goes, these ones are going to heaven and these ones are going to hell. Know that you were warned. That's scary, isn't it? That you've been warned. So you've been warned, be wise, serve the Lord with fear. See, we try to fix the kingdom, right? We try to fix the nations. It doesn't tell us to fix the nations. The nations make plans. He laughs. He says, serve me. You're in my nation. I'm your king. Serve the Lord. Lord, king, same word, right? Serve him. Well, what has he asked us to do? Well, he's asked us to make disciples. He's asked us to love, to forgive. He's asked us marriages between man and a woman. He's asked us to raise our kids according to the Lord. He's asked us to gather together to sing to him, hear from him, and do what he says. Serve him. That's what he's saying. Don't, don't rage. Don't go out in anger. Don't try to fix that. He, he's sending his son. Him as king, he'll make all things right. It's not our job to make all things right. It's our job to fear him, to serve him with fear. Well, why do we fear him? We fear him because, look, he's going to break them with a rod of iron. Isn't that scary? I think that's who your king is. You should be a little afraid. It's not that you're going to lose your salvation. No, it's paid for. It's that the one whom I serve can do all things. So I should maybe care about the manner in which I approach him. That when I go to him in prayer, it's not like, how could you? How dare you? 
Why is this happening? This is terrible. It all needs to change. Is that serving him with fear? Well, that's serving him with haughtiness, like I should be in charge. That's being like the nations that rage. Well, if I were God, it'd look like this. And I'll serve you when it does look like that. That is so specific. No, serve in fear. Next part, rejoice with trembling. Rejoice. And he's saying you could, you could be having the worst life ever. Everyone hates you. Your spouse hates you. Your kids hate you. Your life, you don't like where you live. You don't like, you feel oppressed. It's saying even in all of that, you can rejoice in one thing. You're not a part of the vessel that gets destroyed. You don't get struck by the iron. You get to go to heaven. Right? You can rejoice in that always. Even if you can find nothing else, nothing else in all the world. And here's the thing. That will be for eternity. The pain we have now, the suffering we have now, is for a time. And when Jesus comes back in verse 9, and he takes the rod of iron, there will be no more sin, sorrow, shame, anger. All of that will be wiped away. And all there will be is perfect, beautiful Jesus in heaven. No sin. It will all be gone. For that, we always get to rejoice. Whatever it is here, it is temporary. But with trembling, because not everybody goes to heaven. There are those that will be crushed to pieces, that will be broken by the rod of iron. So you should tremble in knowing that there's still people who rage, who don't understand the only way that rage will stop is that they become peace with God through Christ. It's the payment for their sin, that they have a reconciliation of their sin against God. Twelve, kiss the Son. This simply means to honor the son. Honor him. He's the creator. Honor him. God, what would you want? You're the creator. His son paid for our sin. God, what would you want? This is going to him first. That shows honor. You know, God, this is what I want to do today. This is what I would like to do. Or, or when you feel like raging, honor would say, you know what? There's a chance I don't understand this and I'm wrong. God, help my mind understand. Help my heart submit. Isn't that honoring? You'd be like, you know what, God? I just I probably got this all wrong, and I and, and I want to listen and I want to submit, but I come struggling. The issue's me, God, not you. Help me trust you. So honoring, isn't it? Because you're coming from a position of humility and you're acknowledging he's the king, you're not, he's the savior, you're not, I'm not. So it's very clear. I honor you by going to you first. And understanding you're the one who can do anything. So I start with you. Help me change, not you change. Okay? Rest of that verse. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. This gets scary. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Wrath is coming. This is why we rejoice with trembling. This is why we serve with fear, because there is wrath. And we need to be grateful that that wrath is not poured out on us. True? Okay. So the wrath is coming. Last part. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So this is important. 
This, this is where the rubber meets the road. Is the nation's rage. Well, what do we do? We rest. We rest. The nation rages and says, we think life should be like this, and we're going to do this. And if you don't agree with us, we're going to kill you, change you, cancel you, whatever it is. We go, wow, that's between them and the Lord. But if you want to know how to fix that, you need to be right with God through Christ. See, rather than us respond in rage, he says, you could go rest. This king is your refuge. He's going to smash everything and he's going to protect you because you're paid for. You're paid for. Find rest in that truth. See, the fact that we rage with the nation shows we don't understand who our king is. This is part of the problem you will see in Matthew is they have the Son of God right in front of them and they have no clue what it means. We do not want to find ourselves in the same spot where we have the King, but we don't act like it. Matthew 8, 23 through 27. Here's an example I want, I want to walk, walk us through. And okay, so you have Jesus and the disciples on a boat. And, right? It says, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Are you catching the irony in these two texts? The nations rage and God laughs. The disciples are worried and Jesus sleeps. You're seeing there's how the we act and how God acts. Anyways, I'm nerding out on you guys. It's really cool. Okay, 25. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And in my abbreviated version, he goes back to sleep because that's like the mic drop, right? Like, boom, he goes back down, he goes back to sleep. He's like, you guys figure that out. But, right? But isn't that exactly where we're at? We're raging. The sea's coming. And it's like, do you not know who's on the boat with you? It's Jesus. And he's probably sleeping. Because he's got everything under control. If you don't know who's on the boat with you, you'll rage just like the nation rage. And here's the thing you have to understand. Just because you're on the boat with Jesus doesn't mean the storm doesn't come. The storm comes. The part of the story is that you don't need to worry. You don't need to rage. You can sleep as Jesus sleeps. Meaning, you can take refuge. You can find rest. Let the waves crash. Let the water come on. God's laughing. Jesus is sleeping. Everything's good. That's the picture you get in the Bible. You see Paul play this out in his ministry as well. Acts chapter 16, you see Paul come into Philippi. And he's just minding his own business. He's walking around, you know, rebukes a demon girl. She all of a sudden becomes a Christian. They get angry. They beat him. They whip him. And they put him in prison. 
And this is Paul now in prison. No trial as a Roman citizen. No, nothing. They just beat him and throw him in prison. It says at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. The storm is crashing. And Paul is singing. And the people are watching. How are you so, why are you singing? You're in prison. Do you not know what prison is, Paul? Like, no, I know what prison is. I have Jesus. My sins have been paid for. I'm no longer an enemy with the holy, righteous God. I've been made whole. Whatever I have here, it'll be gone. And I'll be with Jesus in heaven. Therefore, I will sing. That's how you take refuge. You take refuge through knowing something or someone greater than you, Christ, has it under control. This is how he sleeps. This is why God laughs. So then it goes back to us. Be warned and be wise. We've been warned. Now be wise. Serve him in fear because he's the one who brings the iron. He's the one who brings the rod. He's the one who rebukes the storm. Rejoice. We're not the ones being crushed. Rejoice, we have a God who laughs. Rejoice, we have a Savior who sleeps. But tremble, because there will be those who are crushed. Honor him. God, anything, anything I don't understand, it's because of me, not you. And then finally, rest. Rest that he has it under control. He has a plan. He's working it out. We just need to do what he's called us to do, to serve him, honor him, and take refuge in him. Some questions for us to think about. Why do you think Americans are currently raging? Like what, where does this anger come from? Like try to place that. And how can you find refuge in Jesus? You know, how, how can you show them, you know, you know what, I'm, I don't need to, freak out. We don't like it. It's hard. But I rest in that Christ is on the throne and he will come back one day. And until then, I need to serve him. I need to rejoice. I need to honor him. And I need to rest that he has it taken care of. Two, do you plot or plan in vain apart from Jesus? It's what we don't want to do. See, you have uh, nations raging and they're reactionary. So then they plan and they plot to, to take the rage and solve the rage. See, when we get angry and we get hurt, do we just go straight into planning? Oh, I'll fix it. I'll do this. 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 Or do we start with the Lord and say, God, how would you have me order this? How would you have me think about this? Before we even get to the plan, before we even think about planning, before we plan to plan the plan, right? Go to the Lord first. Go to your Bible first. Go to other Christians first and say, hey, help me with this. Three, why does God laugh at the rage of the nations? Because it's absurd to think they can do anything. And that should comfort us and scare us all at the same time. Four, how can you be wise when the nations are raging? We can't join the rage. It's as if we've forgotten that Christ is on the boat. God is on the throne. He is laughing and Christ is sleeping. 
We have forgotten who our king is. So it's important that we don't rage like the nations. Then five, are you currently rejoicing in the Lord? You're having the worst year of your life and everything's falling apart. Are you saying, okay, that's all true, but I still have Christ. I'm not going to be dashed into pieces. I'm not going to be broken with a rod of iron. God's not laughing at me because I'm his child. I'm his servant. I'm his. Are you rejoicing? Because we always have a reason to rejoice. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you that we get to come and we get to sing we get to open up your word and, and see, see the truths you have for us. And this morning, we are just so grateful that as nations plot and rage, that you laugh because you have a plan and you are working it out and you have everything solved and we don't need to worry. And so it's our great prayer from this text that we would trust you. We have been warned. And may we be wise now in trusting you and loving you and singing to you that you hold all things in your hands. You have everything under control. And it is our job to trust you, love you, obey you, and serve you faithfully. So be with us as we respond in worship. May it be worthy of your greatness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.